All right, so we're going to jump in. So Matthew, and you all have your Bibles or you have your papers with you, so there's going to be very few uh, slides on the screen this morning, um, but we're going to jump into Matthew 15, verse 2. All right, so why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? So here we have the religious leaders, and they come to Jesus, and they're asking, what's the deal? Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. That's, that's a problem. And so right away, we're, we're, we're looking at priorities. We're seeing priorities of the religious leaders, of the Pharisees, of the scribes from Jerusalem. And we see that their, their priority in this situation is the tradition of the elders, right? What's, this, is, this is what we do. This is how we operate. Why, why isn't this being followed by you? And in Mark chapter 7, we have a, a similar account, the same account in Mark chapter 7. And we find out that traditions of the elders and, and, and these sorts of things, rules, are, are very, it's very common. In Mark chapter 7, verse 4, it says this, And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so we see that there, there are actually many traditions and rules and regulations that the, the, the elders of the past have, have made. Uh, and and the, the current Pharisees and, and scribes that are coming to Jesus here, they're, they're trying to hold to those. That, that's their priority. And see, in, in that time, there, there was traditions and rules for like every area of life. Every area of life, there was traditions and rules. And, and traditions in themselves aren't bad, right? Traditions aren't bad. Uh, that's not a, not a bad thing. Many of the traditions and the rules that were set were, there was actually a good heart out of it, right? They, they wanted to make sure that the commandments were kept. And so what they would do is that they would build these extra rules and traditions on top of that to make sure we didn't get anything close to breaking those commandments. And so they, they wanted to avoid being unclean or, or defiling themselves or disobeying the commandments. And so that, that's not a bad, that is not a bad thing, obviously. But we, we see right away Jesus' response it's almost, it's almost taken back by it. It's very strange in a sense. Matthew 15, verse 3, he doesn't even address the question. Like, he doesn't even respond to the, to the traditions. He just says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So right away, we see Jesus' priority here, which is the commandment of God. So Jesus shows us here that he's valuing the commandment of God over the tradition of man. And this is apparently... Very different from the Pharisees. I mean, we think about the disciples. First of all, they weren't washing their hands before they ate. So that was a tradition of the elders that Jesus clearly didn't force his disciples to keep. Uh, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus and his disciples breaking Sabbath laws. And that, that causes a huge stir amongst the religious leaders. But he's not breaking the Sabbath laws from God. He's breaking the Sabbath laws that have been set by the elders of the past, from the religious Jewish elders of the past. And so we see Jesus, he is, his focus, his focus isn't on necessarily keeping the tradition of the elders. His focus is on keeping the commandments of God. He goes on to explain why they're breaking the commandment of God. He says this in verse uh, 4 and 5. He says this, For God commanded, honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God, 
he need not honor his father. See, in that time, what could happen was you could declare saying, all right, everything I own, everything that belongs to me, I, I give it. You could like publicly declare this, I give it to God. It's all God's. And in a sense, you wouldn't, then you wouldn't be bound to give it to anybody else. It, 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 you look, you're appearing as though you are, you're keeping the tradition of the elders, you're giving everything to God, but let's say your father, your mother needs your help. You wouldn't actually, you would be, your obligation to them would be cut off. You wouldn't need to do that anymore. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, the, the commandment says honor your father and mother, but here you are saying, I'm just going to hold to this tradition. I'm going to give everything to God, which is like, in a sense, that sounds right. But when they do that, they're actually not taking care of their parents. And they're disobeying the commandment of God. And Jesus is pointing this out to them. Um, in verse 6, it says this. He need, not, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. For the sake of tradition, they have made void the word of God. For the sake of tradition, they've actually rejected the word of God. They've actually resisted the word of God for the sake of their tradition. And we see Jesus here, he's, he's not smashing, he's not, he's not coming against traditions, he's coming against the fact that they're breaking God's commands for the sake of their tradition. That's, that's what he's, he's coming after the commands of God here. That's what he wants to be addressing. And so he's, he sees that because of tradition, because of really man-made religion, the commandments of God are being disobeyed. And this he has an issue with. So I'll reiterate, he isn't saying that traditions in themselves are bad, but when traditions lead to the neglect of the commands of God, Jesus actually takes issue with it. And he goes deeper. Matthew 15, verse 7 to 9, says this, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of man. So Jesus just does not hold punches. Like, you hypocrites, he says. Like, he just goes after them. You hypocrites. He says, you look godly because you're keeping all these traditions. You look like everything's going to the Lord, but really you're actually breaking the commandments of, you're actually being hypocritical. And he goes deeper. He goes deeper. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship him. So he says, you're, you're, you're appearing this way, but really your heart, your heart is, is not near to me. Your heart is, does not love me. You even worship, but that's just in vain. Even worship is in vain. He's, call, he's calling them out. He says, your worship is in vain. Your heart is far from me. You're teaching the commands of man. You're teaching these traditions, and you're actually putting them at the same level, if not higher, than God's commands. He says, your heart is far from me. In vain you worship me. So the problem that we find out here is that their heart is far from him. And a heart that is far from Jesus is a heart that will be more concerned with keeping tradition than keeping the commandments of God. It will, it will value that over the commandments of God. A heart that is far from Jesus will devalue God's commands 
It will consider God's commands optional. And we also learn that religious activity, for instance, in this passage, worship, doesn't guarantee that someone's heart is indeed close to God. Um, Jesus is saying, you're, you're worshiping me, but it's in vain. There's, in Isaiah, he talks about true fasting. He says, you're fasting in vain. Like, so religious activity doesn't necessarily guarantee that our hearts are near to God. And Jesus is pointing out to us that the heart is the problem. The heart is the problem. The Pharisees in this, in this story are saying, it's, what, it's the heart that, it's, sorry, it's the, it's the not washing of your hands. That defiles you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not not washing your hands. There's nothing that, like, you know, nothing that you, you know, can touch or, well, let's actually read what he says, right? Come on. Let's, let's read the word here. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth, right? It's, it's not what you touch with your hands or what comes into your mouth or what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. And so Jesus says, the problem is the heart. That's the problem. The, pro- the problem isn't washing your hands. Obviously, Washing your hands is a good thing, right? Um, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. Um, but it's, it's what comes out of the heart. That's the problem. And we read in Matthew 15, 18 and 20 that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander, and we can add in there tradition over commandment is a... Is a is a sign that the heart is, there's a problem with the heart. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. It's the heart. And see, so often what we do in, in our day and age, and I've done this many times, is we try and do behavior modification. Right? Okay, we just got to fix the behavior. That, you're struggling with this? Okay, just fix, add stuff in your life to make sure you don't do that, which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus says, no, it's not, it's not behavior modification that I'm concerned about. And obviously, we should be living right lives, obviously. But he said, I'm concerned about the heart. I'm concerned about the heart. The heart is the problem. See, the world tells us that deep down, we are good people. That is the message right now in our culture, is that man and and woman, we're, we're good, and if we just work together, we can actually flourish the world, and we actually, we actually have good hearts deep down. But the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful. The Bible says that we are actually broken and sinful and corrupted and that our hearts lead us astray. And so we, we desperately need a new heart. We desperately need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. We don't just need something to get tweaked in there. We need actually a heart transplant. We need to be born again. God needs to do this in our hearts. The solution isn't rules and traditions. The solution is not more religious activity. The solution is a heart transplant. See, Jesus is, a, is about, he, he's about keeping the commandments of God. He, he says it over and over again. Like, the commandments of God are a big deal to Jesus. But the way to that is a change of heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27, I feel like we read this passage often. Says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God wants to give us a new heart. He wants to give us a new heart. Catch this second part here. And I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, he, he's about the commandments of God. But when his spirit is in us, when he's done a, a, a transplant, really, of our hearts, then, then walking in the commands of God, obedience to him, becomes something that isn't just a task. It doesn't become just a religious activity. It actually becomes a delight. It becomes something that, we, that becomes more natural to us. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. But there's going to be a great change in our desire for following Jesus. And see, when, when our hearts are changed, we will delight. We will delight in God himself. And at some level, this isn't what we, this isn't what we pursue or we, we put all our efforts to, but at some level, there, there should be an, an emotional response to God. I mean, God, God has intense love for you all. That's, that's, there, there's, there is a love within the Godhead. You see that, between, you see that all over the place with Jesus when he, he talks to the Father. He said, I just want to be with you. I want to be with my... In the glory that we used to have together, he says that in the book of John, and, and we see there's a love there, and so there is, there is call to be an emotional response back to God. When our hearts are changed, we will delight in the commands of God, and we will walk in the commands of God, and the commandments of God will become greater value to us than tradition, and worship and religious activity won't be heartless, but full of love for God, walking in intimacy with him, close with him. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Right there. That we keep his commandments. That's love. That's love of God. Obedience to him. Right? That's what Jesus is concerned about in this story. And his commandments, <clears throat> sorry. And his commandments are not burdensome. So it's not meant to be a task. It's not meant to be something that just feels like this heavy yoke on us. It's actually meant to be not burdensome. And when our hearts are transformed, when our hearts are in love with Jesus, his commands, that burden, that, that, that burden gets lifted. That burden gets lifted. Now, it doesn't always mean it gets lifted. Sometimes we, gotta, we have to just, we just got to do this. Like if we don't want to do this, we got to do this. Sometimes that's the case, but that, I don't think, is supposed to be the norm. I mean, I think with Jesus in the garden, obedience to God in that situation was going to the cross, and he was sweating drops of blood. That wasn't like, I am just loving the fact that I have to go to the cross right now. No, he was, he was in intense wrestle. But the only thing he wanted more than his own will was the will of the Father. Psalm 119, verse 72 says this, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Whew, that is a, that's a hard verse, actually, to believe that all the riches of the world, the law of God's mouth is better to, to me. And he's talking about the Old Testament there. We read through the Old Testament, it's like, oh, this, I just got to get to the New Testament, just got to get through the Old Testament. It's like, no, there's actually like, the Old Testament is better to us than thousands of riches. Wow. That's Leviticus right there. Wow, that's like that's we have like the blessing of the New Testament, right? That seems easier to us, but this is the Old Testament. The law of God is so good. It's so good. So good. 
All right, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift this a bit to our context. Now, if we think about traditions, right, we all have traditions, right? Holiday traditions. Uh, Carrie and myself, every Christmas, we go to the old spaghetti factory at the Forks, and then we hang out at the Forks there, walk through the shops, and, and uh, I, she usually tries to stop me from buying things, so that's kind of how we operate on traditionally. And... Um, this is actually very true, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, but this, that's Christmas tradition for us. There's family traditions, right? I'm sure you have family traditions. Lots of time over the holidays, people get together um, as, as extended families, and maybe friends have traditions. Maybe August long, there's always a thing you do with your friends August long. I'm not sure. Um, but we have traditions, and traditions aren't bad. Uh, the church is loaded, loaded with traditions. It is loaded with, I mean, it's, it's, an or, it's, a, it's a community that's been together for 2,000 years, right? That, like, there's a lot of tradition in it. And tradition, once again, I, I just really want to reiterate here, tradition in itself is not bad. Um, but let's take a look at a normal Western evangelical church in North America. No, North America would be Western, but let's look at a service, a Sunday morning service. If you go to any church, most churches... In, this, in, in North America, you'll probably experience a similar thing. Most Christians will show up on a Sunday morning to a building. And there will be worship, probably first, or announcements. One of the two will most likely be first. Um, oh, no. Um, there will be Sunday school or a children's story. Uh, and there will most likely be a 30 to 45 minute monologue-type sermon. Um, this is a traditional, typical church service, I would say, anywhere you go. In probably the world, actually, in a place where people show up, this is probably how it's going to look. Now, of course, uh, and, so, and so, sorry, and so this is, this is a tradition, right? This is traditionally how we meet. This is how the church gathers, traditionally. Now, of course, worship, uh, gathering together, uh, preaching of the word, instruction and training of children are all biblical commands. We're all called to do that, right? Like, we wouldn't look at our, what we do here and like, oh, man, this is, an this is an unbiblical church service. No, no, this is like very biblical, but what, we, what we do here, right? But the way that it gets done, this particular traditional form that we have for, for many, many years across North America it is, it is a man-made, created thing outside of what God has commanded in the Bible uh, or other programs or things that we've done here. Um, could be here, other churches. Things that we've always done, they, they, they might not specifically be commanded in the Bible. Let's look at Sunday school. Sunday school is not commanded in the Bible. But the training and instruction of children is. But Sunday school, as we see it, is, is not commanded in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to call myself out here. Youth group is not commanded in the Bible. There is, there's no command to make, make sure you hire this youth pastor to train up the kids. That's actually not a command in the Bible. It's not bad, <laughs> it's, but it's an, it's an extra biblical practice. Um, a 30 to 45 minute sermon every single Sunday is not commanded in the Bible. Now, teaching of the word and preaching of the word, yes, 100%, we need to be doing that and being in the word. Not commanded in the Bible, though. 
to have a sermon like this every single Sunday. You don't have to meet in a church building. That's not a command either. Meeting in a church building is not a command in the Bible. Now let me reiterate, again, children should be discipled and trained. Preaching of the word should happen, and meeting in a church building can be a, an amazing blessing. But what often happens is that when the form or the way of a service or the way that a church does things, maybe they change things the way they've always used to do, do it, people can often really, really struggle with that. Even if commandments aren't being broken, even if it might even enhance the church's ability to even walk in the commandments of God, people really struggle when, when the form of church changes. And I, anyone catch what I did this morning? Like, I very specifically changed our service this morning. We, we never open up our Bibles and read them for ourselves and then discuss it in this place. I don't think we, I don't think we, I mean, I haven't really been here very long, so maybe it's this actually a normal thing. But I don't think this is a very normal thing that we do. And that was very specific. Um, I really appreciated what Chris Jansen talked about last week. He invited us to reflect on which questions we ask. And we, he, he mentioned how we often ask the question, how, how do we do this? All right, so we're, we're opening up. And, okay, how do we do what we used to do? How, how do we do this now in this context? And, and he encouraged us, rather, the question should be, should we do this? And we'll let God, that's, that's the main question. Should we do this? And then the how can be played out later. God, will give, God can make that happen. And so I, I want to build on that this morning and say, what should we do? What should we do? We should, and we, we get to, draw near to the heart of God and follow his commands by the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what we should do. Draw near to God, follow his commands by the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the non-negotiable. This is really the only thing that truly matters. Everything else, everything else is negotiable. The way we've always done things here is negotiable. Programs, negotiable. Different activities, different structures that we've had, negotiable. If it's not a command from Jesus, it's negotiable. So we need to ask ourselves, should we do this? Are we drawing near to God? Does this fulfill the commands of God? Is this where the Holy Spirit is leading us? Now to reiterate once again, traditions, programs, activities are not necessarily bad or evil, and they can be really good, and they can be totally done with a heart that is drawing near to Jesus, that is obeying him and walking in the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 100% yes, that is a thing. But they don't always do that. <laughs> And so as I close, I want to actually lay before us some of the commands of God that I believe are of utmost importance in no particular order. I mean, they are actually kind of in order, I realize, but that's okay. There are many, there are many, many commands, but we're going to talk about a few of them this morning. And I want to remind us once again, the heart of this isn't just to do commands, just to do commands, just to be religious and feel good about ourselves. The heart, the heart is to have a heart transplant, for us to love Jesus and obey him, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about the commands still. Because they're all over scripture, so we got to talk about it. So let's talk about it. So we'll start where Jesus started. 
in this passage. She calls them out on their relationship with their parents. So we're going to start off by talking to the youth. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that's Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. So children, youth, you need to obey your parents. You need to honor them. You need to respect them. You need to love them. That's what you're supposed to do. It's awesome. Um, I've been in youth ministry off and on for 13 years. And you don't see this very often anymore. You do not see this very often in our culture. That's a command for us. And parents, don't think you get off, you get off the hook here. Where's my page? There we go. Next verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your kids to anger, but love them and train them. And this is talking to fathers. So fathers in here, you are called to train and instruct your children in the Lord. That is your responsibility before it is mine. Now, I will, I will gladly come and, and, and help and, and come alongside, and I want to do that, and I've been dreaming and thinking about how that could even, even look. But the call is for fathers in this passage, and mothers are called to obviously train up their kids as well. But fathers are called to train up their kids in the Lord, according to Ephesians 6. Are you doing that? That's, that's a command. That's what we're called to do. Another command. Jesus, asked, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Everything we do comes out of this. This is the first commandment. Everything we do comes out of loving God with everything. If we do something in this church that doesn't cultivate love for God, we need to question whether we're doing that. Because this is the first thing that we're supposed to get right, is our love for God. So we need to be loving Jesus with everything we have. And God wants to change our hearts. He wants to help us obey these things. And this has got to be a focus for us. It has to be a focus for us. Next verse, Jesus. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, love people, love others. Do you know that there are over 50 one another commands in the New Testament? Over 50 of how we treat each other in the, in the New Testament. That's in the church. So how we treat each other, how we love each other, needs to be at the core of what we do here. It needs to be at the core of what we do here. Which means that if there is something that's a secondary issue, and there's something that causes, like we're called to make peace with each other, to love each other, to serve each other, to live in harmony with each other, they even say to sing to each other. I'd like to see that happen on this in place. We're just singing to each other. It'd be awesome. But we're called, we're called to love each other. Jesus even said that that's how people will know that we are his disciples. That's how people will know that he was sent from the Father by our love for each other. And so moving forward in this radically politicized world we live in, Loving one another is a command of God. Always sharing your opinion on something that isn't in the Bible is not a command of God. Fourth, we're called, oh, I don't have verse for this. We are called to gather together 
called to gather together. This can, pay, this can take different forms. Early church met together often, it says day by day. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews encourages people not to neglect meeting together, but to continue to meet together and to continue to encourage each other. All right, so we're called to gather together. That can look different. That can look like in a church building. Wonderful. That can look like in a park. Wonderful. That can look like in a home. Wonderful. That can look like in a coffee shop. Awesome. That can look like in an arena. Wonderful. In a school. Like, I, I've been at a church. We met in a school. It was awesome. But we're called to gather together. That's the main thing. Gather together. And I'm glad we have this building to gather together. It's a blessing. Fifth and finally, we're called to remember the sacrifice of our Lord. We're called to take communion together. Jesus told his disciples to take the Lord's Supper. Paul gave instruction on the Lord's Supper. The early church in Acts 2 said it was devoted to the breaking of bread. We are called to take communion regularly and often together. And what do you know? It's the first Sunday of the month. So traditionally, we take communion, which I thought was awesome. I was like, no way, we're doing tradition, like, it's our traditional time for communion, which I thought was just, it was good. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm, I was here, well, for sure Thursday I was by myself, but, you know, you got to have those things here, like, bring you joy, right? Like, oh, this is awesome tradition. So we're going to take communion once again this morning. And the heart of communion, we're not, we're not taking it, because it's the first Sunday of the month. That's not why we're taking communion. We're not taking it because this is what the church is like. We're just supposed to take communion. That's not why we're, take, that's not why we're taking it. We're taking it because we want to remember what Jesus did. We want to reflect on the cross, on his body, how it was beaten for us, how his blood was shed for us. That's what we gather together to take communion. So we can be in fellowship that the body of Christ can, can remember what he did for us. That is central. That is central. Paul had some intense words in 1 Corinthians about communion, and he encourages people to examine themselves before they take it. And so we're going to examine, we're going to take some time to reflect and examine ourselves just for 30 seconds. And before we take communion together, so maybe there's maybe there's sin in your life that you need to just you need to deal with, you need to repent of. Take this time, confess to the Lord. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that you need to send a quick text message to, saying, you know what, I wronged you the other day. Um, maybe I, I've had to do that. I had to do that. Very. I was with a group last week, and we took communion. And I had to send a text message before taking it because I had to apologize for my behavior. Um, we're called to not take an unworthy manner. So what, let's do that. Maybe you are here today or you're watching online or you're in the simulcast and you're, you're thinking, you know what? I really actually feel like I'm putting tradition over the commands of God. This is a time, just you and the Lord, give it to him, repent of it, and just ask him to give you just this heart that just loves him and wants to obey him. And so I'll give us 30, I'll pray, give us 30 seconds, and then we'll take communion. Lord, we just ask that you would examine us and reveal anything that's getting in the way, Lord, anything that would cause us to take this in an unworthy manner, 
Lord, we just invite you to, to show us, uh, show us where we need to make right something. top layer, we'll pull out the little wafer there. This is how it was with Jesus as well. We had, you know, all this plastic was ripped images. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah. First Corinthians 11 verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Get the cup ready. Verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we remember this morning. We remember your sacrifice. We remember that you died on the cross for us, that you paid it all, that you gave it all for us. You took our sins. Thank you for paying for our sins, Jesus. Thank you for being beaten for us, that your body was broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for the blood that you shed. Thank you that we can enter into a relationship and fellowship with you by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you that you didn't stay dead. That you rose from the grave. That you are victorious. That you are on your throne in heaven right now. That you are in control. That you are in charge. And that you invite us into this mission to give ourselves now for the people around us, like you did. Jesus, we bless you, we praise you. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in our hearts in this church, that we would love you with everything, that we would love one another. 
Lord, that we would find delight in your commands, that they would not be burdensome to us, God, but it would be just a delight for us. Lord, give us wisdom. Speak to us, Lord, as we move forward. And God, I pray that this church would be able to be a blessing to the people around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, God, that we'd be able to walk and step with you, loving you and following you. Lord, I'm grateful that we get to gather together outside and hang out and chat and, and be together. I pray you would bless that time. God, that it would be so rich and our love for each other would grow.